0: My dad died. I miss my friends because of... I don't know how to tell my friends that. I want to help my friends. I don't know how. The pandemic has left me feeling very lonely. How can I best support students in my class? My uncle abused me. The
1: morning meeting is meant to be a place to let you know that you are not alone. We can get through this together. So join us. Listen, learn, share your stories. This is The Morning Meeting. Hello, I'm Mandy Zucker, host of The Morning Meeting. Welcome to the first episode of the fourth season. I'm really excited to have Wendy Sefsick as our first guest this season. I've known Wendy for many years, and I've been fortunate enough to present with her as well. She's going to share a little bit of her story, because today we're going to be talking about suicide and suicide prevention, and how each of us can play a part in preventing suicide in our friends, family, and students. So Wendy, it's so nice to have you on the morning meeting. I am thrilled to have you here.
0: I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. I've always been a big fan of your work, so I'm very (laughs) grateful to be here today. Well, we actually got to work
1: together recently and I thought we had such great chemistry and I felt like I was learning as I was talking and listening that I thought we should Do this on a
0: show. So, why don't we just start with a little bit about you and who you are and what brings you to this work? Well, my name is Wendy Sefcik, and I am currently serving as chair for the New Jersey Youth Suicide Prevention Advisory Council. And I'm also chair of the New Jersey chapter of the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. And I serve on a few boards, um, Mental Health Association of Monmouth County. And I obviously am very passionate about this work. So, I have a, a lot of involvement, I'm on staff in Bergen County as their suicide prevention coordinator. And unfortunately, I got into this work because 11 years ago, I lost my 16-year-old son, TJ, to suicide. And prior to that, I wasn't involved in mental health. I really didn't know anything about suicide prevention. And after losing TJ, uh, one of the ways that I coped was to try to figure out how this could have happened to my family. I just, I, I truly thought we were the only family in New Jersey, in this country that was dealing with the loss of a child in such a horrific manner. And I was really shocked to learn that we really weren't alone as a family, that so many people struggle And that we lose so many uh, to suicide over 47,000 people every year, many of them are youth about 6000 youth each year, we're losing to suicide. So as I started peeling back the layers and got more involved, I felt really uh, compelled that I had to do something. I had to make sure that we got the word out, share what had happened to us in the hopes of having other people take notice and really look into their own child's mental health. One of the things I've learned is that anybody and everyone could be at risk for suicide. Many people struggle with their mental health and I don't share that to bring fear, we have enough of that in the world. I, I share it because I do think there 's so much that we can do i I wouldn 't say that every suicide is preventable, but I do think there 's a lot that we can do to prevent suicide, and that many suicides can be prevented if we know how to support the people who are struggling, and if we can understand that people may be struggling silently many times that 's what we see with our youth. You know what I just found interesting that you said that
1: you know before TJ died you really weren't involved you didn't know much about mental health and because i work in the field and i'm sure now you feel like it's everywhere right like everything i look at has something to do with mental health and that's because i i work in this field so i am you know hooked into different resources and my facebook groups and i think it's everywhere but i forget that really the average person who's not in this field their facebook pages their linkedin pages their instagram pages don't look like mine do. They're not inundated with information and education the way that people are that are in the field. And I wonder, I don't know if, if you have come across that or if, or if you have any ideas about how people can learn more who are not, you know, in this field, you know, children who are at risk, but also parents.
0: I do think there's been a lot of changes, you know, in the 11 years since I became involved, I do think there is a lot more awareness, a lot more discussion about mental health, especially in light of the pandemic. So now it's almost, you know, I always say a lot of, a lot of times issues, it's like a scale, right? So it's, it's, you know, one it's this way, then it becomes very unbalanced the other way. We're not usually right in balance. And I think what's happening with mental health is there's a lot of conversation about mental health. Now, a lot of um, athletes are, you know, coming out and speaking. We have Olympic athletes that are talking about their own struggles with mental health. We have celebrities talking about their struggles with mental health. So I do think more people understand that it's a topic um, that a lot of people are impacted However, I think the vast majority of people who at this time or at any time aren't themselves struggling think, well, that's, you know, I'm aware of mental health. I'm aware that suicide happens, but it really doesn't pertain to me or my family. So I do think that prevails, that while more people have an understanding, because there is a lot more um, opportunity to understand that, and people do talk about mental health with the pandemic a lot um, Mm -hmm. about the struggles, I do think that in order for people to really open their eyes to know that at any time, it could impact their families and probably does. I think that's something we haven't, you know, we're we're still not open about people. If you really sit and think about your family tree, most people probably do have somebody that has struggled at some point, you know, in their life, and it's varying degrees. We know with mental health, everyone has it, Um, no matter what, we all have mental health, whether it's good or bad. And it typically lives on a spectrum, right? So one day, your mental health might be really great. Another day, maybe it's not so good. It doesn't mean that it's a diagnosis. But there's a continuum. And I say that just like, you know,
1: today, I feel fine. Tomorrow, I can have a runny nose. It doesn't mean that my physical health is bad. It just means that, you know, there is a continuum, it might mean that I have to drink tea tomorrow, or maybe it means that I have to take some cold and flu medicine or, you know, whatever it means, but all of our health, mental, physical, it's all on a continuum. And that's, I wish we could normalize that.
0: And, and it really overlaps. So very often, you know, if we do something that's good for our physical health, Very often that's also good for our mental health. For example, exercise, right? We know that getting exercise is really good for our heart health. And we know that getting exercise is also really good for your emotional health. It releases, you know, the the feel-good hormones into our system and it makes us feel better. That's a lot of things. Diet, we, we know that diet really impacts our physical health, but we may not realize that diet also really impacts our mental health. So a lot, you know, I think- That's it. We have to still do a lot of work in changing the thinking and realizing it's one body, right? Our brain is not disconnected from our body. So physical Mm -hmm. and mental health overlap in more ways than we may know.
1: Absolutely. I also think that you said it before that, you know, the conversation is becoming more comfortable to talk about mental health. I don't think 10 years ago when somebody died by suicide, you would see that in their obituary. And we're starting to see that more now when somebody dies from suicide, that they do talk about their mental health struggles, which I appreciate. And I can only imagine how courageous it must be for somebody to be able to do that in a such a public forum. I wonder what you think about about that and how, you know, do you think that that's a good thing for people to be able to start conversations like that?
0: Yeah. And I, you know, I wish that we would get to a point where we didn't think it was courageous because when TJ died, I will tell you that it never occurred to us that we should try to hide um, the cause of death. Cause we were so that's how out of it. We were, we didn't understand how any of this worked. And we never, ever felt ashamed of our son and of our family. We were devastated, you know, our world was rocked. We were sad. Uh, isn't, isn't the right word, you know, there's no way to to even describe um what we were feeling. But one thing we never felt was shame. We didn't feel ashamed of our son. We were just so devastated that this could have happened, that he could have been struggling in such a way and couldn't come to us as his parents. Um, and he did have a great support network. But none of those gatekeepers understood. Educators weren't talking about it or thinking about it. And there, in TJ's case, a lot of times people will share that there really was no sign um, when someone died by suicide. But I always say hindsight's 20-20. And as we looked back, there actually were signs. Um, there were changes in behavior. He wasn't, he, he loved playing sports. He suddenly wasn't. Really playing with the same enthusiasm. He was um, having trouble sleeping. Uh, he was really, really irritable, picking fights with his brothers, being disrespectful to my husband and I. And these, these were not behaviors that were characteristic of him, but they were also behaviors that it was easy to dismiss as typical teen behaviors. He was 16. So that's one of the things you know we've learned is we have to kind of look at any change in behavior and know that it could be typical teen behavior but it could be something else, but getting those conversations about, um, how somebody died, it's, you know, it's, we, we do want to normalize those conversations that there is no shame. Um, and in fact, there's a lot that you can do to help in the, in the healing process. If you are truthful about the cause of death and understand that it, it's not about blaming or shaming anybody. It's it's about understanding and being able to talk and process those difficult emotions that come up when somebody dies by suicide. And that's important not only for the family, but for the friends and the community at large, because suicide is a very complex topic, a very complex health issue, and it does impact the entire community, just as everyone has mental health, when somebody dies by suicide, it really can impact people's mental health. So we need to be open and talk about it. And I I think that's changing as well, as you said, very often, it'll, you know, years ago, you might see something someone died suddenly, and kind of mysterious, how that happened. And now more people might say something, you know, a, a long battle with depression, and, you know, died, uh, or they may come right out and say died by suicide. And I, I think that is positive and important. I
1: think it's important not just to, you know, normalize the conversation around suicide and mental health so that other people feel like if they're struggling with their mental health, that they can talk about it. But it's also really important for the grievers, because if you can't talk about this huge thing then not only are you grieving, but you're grieving alone. And that is just, you know, complicates the grief process so much. So to be able to say my son died by suicide and allow other people to hear that, to share that experience with you, uh, potentially, you know, they, they may know somebody or had an experience that touched their lives too. So it, it allows for connection in a way that, you know, if you don't talk about what happened to you, you can't get that same sense of connection.
0: I think one of the most eye-opening things, because we have been so open in talking about it is how many people that have shared what happened, have their own story. Mm-hmm. You know, what you just said, it's very rare that I will share what happened to TJ and someone will be a like, oh my God, I-, I can't believe it. More often than not, my experience has been someone said, Oh, I I lost a friend, you know, to suicide when I was in high school, or I lost an uncle, um, or a parent, um, or a a child. So many people do have their own stories. And I I literally have had people that um, have lost a parent to suicide and have never told anyone in their family, including their spouse or their children, it has been, you know, historically was hidden. And it's really important that we do talk about it because there is um, a risk factor is, uh, you know, a family history. So a risk factor doesn't, is not fate. It doesn't mean it's going to happen, but it does mean you want to be aware you want to talk about it and you want to know what, what we can do to make sure it doesn't happen again within you want to
1: intervene when you, as soon as, you know, just like if, you know, you have a history of, you know, heart disease in your family you want to make sure you're going to the cardiologist on a regular basis and making sure you're, you know, eating heart healthy and all of those things. So if you know you have a risk factor for suicide in your family, there are things that you can be doing to making sure that you're taking good care of your mental health. That's right. Really important. I do wonder, I don't know what your thoughts are about it, but I wonder what COVID has been doing to people's mental health. And, you know, the reality is the news has not been great. You know, I think in some ways there's some protective factors that COVID has created for some people. And they haven't really said that the numbers of suicides have gone up during COVID, although they have said the number of suicide attempts or emergency room visits due to, you know, um, what they think were suicide attempts have gone up so i wonder what your thoughts are about the whole pandemic and mental health and suicide
0: well i absolutely um agree you know the statistics you just provided the data is, is absolutely correct but i i do know that the pandemic has wreaked havoc with the mental health of, of um pretty much everybody in this country one of the things that complicates that is we're on a 24 7 news cycle You know, many people have the TV on, you know, at all times in their house. And it really is trying to keep us in a state of fear. And it Mm -hmm. is a, it is a scary time, but we're, and I don't think that we practice enough self-care and sometimes self-care means just turning off the TV. And, and not listening, um, and taking care of yourself. But we, you know, data and statistics are very, very complicated. So it is true that our numbers have gone down over the past couple of years, but there could be a lot of reasons for that. You know, one, one of the things we know is because of the pandemic, many of us, you know, were kind of uh, isolated in our homes, but with family members. So whereas somebody may have been in their home alone more often now, maybe they were surrounded by people in the home that that's really good. That's about connecting. And that's a good thing. That could be one of the reasons opportunity, right? If you're alone and you don't have somebody to intervene, um, maybe because there are people around. So there's a lot of reasons why the numbers may have gone down. We've also learned a lot about suicide and ways that we can prevent it. And one of those is limiting access to lethal means. So there's been a lot of education out in the in communities throughout the country about limiting access to lethal means. And what this means is we know historically in this country, more than half of all suicides were via firearms. So there's been a lot of education, not about you know, taking guns away from people, um, you know, if they own them legally, but to provide education. So to make sure that when you do have a gun, that it's it's properly secured, um, ammunition is kept separate, uh, guns are kept locked. If you know somebody is struggling with their mental health, maybe having a conversation with them about maybe just temporarily taking the gun out of the house, if you know that your child is really struggling and you have a gun in the home to make sure maybe to get that gun out of the house while your child is struggling. So a lot of this education may be another reason why some of the numbers have gone down. But as you said, what's very concerning is we know that the number of attempts have has increased and we know that our emergency rooms are overrun with people struggling, not only with suicide attempts, but with their mental health and they don't know where else to go. So it's very, very problematic. We also know that while the overall numbers have come down, certain groups in certain populations, the numbers have increased. For example, one, one such group historically, um, our number of suicide in the African American community has been lower. And now we know that we, we're seeing a rise in suicide deaths in our African American um, youth. So we have to figure that out. Why, why is that happening? What's going on? And there's, there's a lot of work in that area to see why it's going down for some groups and why the numbers are going up for others.
1: Interesting. You would think, you know, again, with the pandemic that, you know, people are, although I guess right now, like, as the pandemic is sort of for some of us, it might not feel that way. But for some people, it might feel like we're getting back to some sense of a normal. So you might be home, and there might be more people that are leaving the home again, bringing you, you know, more isolation again, that so we may
0: see a a shift in those numbers. I don't know if that's yeah, and that's that's why we, we're not, you know, we have to, we can't look at the numbers in a vacuum. So yeah. we know the numbers went down for this year, but so much else changed. Also, yep. <laughs> So we, we really need to kind of almost wait and see what's happening yeah. in the next couple of years. But mm-hmm. it's it's always important to look at data and statistics. But I always say, we always need to remember that behind these numbers and this data are people like and and for me, um as the mother who lost her child to suicide, I can tell you that the only number that matters is one. if we learn lose one one person to suicide it's too many, so we need to continue the work and right now, um you know historically, suicide has been the tenth leading cause of death in the overall population it's the second leading cause of youth. The, that has changed um, with COVID. Suicide is now the 11th leading cause of death um, because COVID deaths kind of took over. But again, we know that those that will change. And it's no reason to really celebrate that, we, that suicide bumped down to the 11th cause of death. We're still losing far too many people to suicide every year. And with it being the second leading cause of death for our youth, It's something we especially need to look out for and and how we can prevent youth from dying by suicide.
1: So let's talk a little bit about preventing. You know, I'm a big proponent of education and peer support in general. I'm also a big proponent of professional support, so I'm not putting that down. But I, you know, I do focus a lot on peer support um, for many reasons, one of which is, you know, there's an access problem to professional support. So a lot of people are not able to, access, therapists, and, you know, even physical medicine. So one of the things that I think, and also I think college students in particular and young adults uh, rely on friends in a way that, you know, older people don't and younger people don't. So I think young people are sort of, they're in a very unique position to be able to support their friends. And yet that's a huge responsibility to think that I can either prevent or intervene when they may have a friend that's um, contemplating suicide. What are your thoughts about peer support and how friends and peers can support one another when they may be contemplating suicide?
0: Well, see, this is why you you're the the owner of the podcast, because you really (laughs) you get right to the important the, the most important topics. This really is what's so important in, in suicide prevention is what we know, right? What the research has shown is it, it's not brain surgery, mm-hmm. right? It's about connections. It's about talking about it. It's about having conversations. And we can do so much in prevention by just educating gatekeepers and with our youth, educating our youth on how to have conversations, and just talk about these topics, because it's almost like and the best way I think I can describe it is releasing a pressure release valve, you're really, really struggling, and you feel you can't talk to anybody about it, because no one else could know what you feel. And then a friend says, Hey, you know, I've noticed just something seems to be up, like, you know, you you haven't really been wanting to go out. Um, you haven't been coming to practice, you seem tired all the time. I I care about you. Like, is there something you want to talk about? that to somebody who's struggling, just that reach out really goes so much farther than something's wrong with you. You have a problem. Let me drive you to a therapist, sit in that office for an hour. Um, And again, as you said, there is definitely an important space for mental health professionals. I'm not dismissing that. However, there's so much, I'm a big proponent of upstream work and That's upstream work. If our kids are educated from the earliest stages that you feel what you feel and it's okay to not be okay, but there are supports all around you, including your friends, and you can have these conversations, that is really going to make a big difference. What we need to do is we need to make sure that our kids are equipped with knowing what the resources are, knowing that when it's a mental health issue, um, maybe it's just a bad day. And then you can navigate it with your friend, but maybe it's something more. And we need our kids to understand when they need to reach out to that trusted adult and hand it off. But it's important that our kids know to at least initiate those conversations and to know that if their friend confides in them about something and a struggle, that sometimes it's not okay to keep a confidence, right? We all know to be a good friend. It means being able to keep a secret, knowing that you have that trust. However, when it comes to a life or death situation, like somebody contemplating suicide, that's too big a weight for anyone to handle. That's when we need to get the professionals involved. That's when we need to make sure that our kids feel comfortable with reaching out to their trusted adults. And it doesn't have to be a parent, right? As parents, we want to be our kids' trusted adults. But we know, especially with teens, it, doesn't, it very often doesn't work that way, right? It's part of the developmental process, they're pulling away from us. So maybe their trusted adult is a coach, or a favorite music teacher, it may even be you know the custodian at the school who's just always seems to be available and there for them a lot of times our kids want to protect us. They don't want to burden us with something that's going on with their lives, but we need to make sure that they're aware of all these other avenues that they can go to for support. Um, But we absolutely need to do more and better educating our youth about taking care of their mental health and how to support their friends. Think of it again, back to that,
1: you know, I have a cold analogy. Some people might need a little soup one day. And as friends, we can bring them some soup. Um, you know, if they're just like, I'm just not feeling good today. I'm just, you know, um, I had a breakup. I didn't make the team. I didn't get into the college that I wanted to. I, whatever it is, I'm just kind of feeling down. Um, that's what friends are for. Bring them the soup. Tell me about what you're going through. That sounds really rough. And we can do that. If it's more than soup, right. Um, they're really struggling. That cough sounds terrible. They can't breathe. You're going to say, we're going to the doctor, right? And if they're saying things that are more concerning than I'm just a little down today and you've noticed a pattern or have other additional concerns about them, that's when you're going to jump in and say, this is beyond something that I'm able to do as a friend, but I'm going to make sure that I get you the support that you need. You might not like what I'm going to do, but because I'm your friend, I'm going to make sure that you're safe. And that may mean a whole host of things, telling a trusted adult, taking them to the emergency room. If you feel like they need to do that, you know, there's a whole bunch of things that you might consider doing.
0: Yep, there's a, like there's also um, there um, are resources. There's the for kids. We have or, or for anybody really. We have a crisis text line. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so twenty four hours a day, seven days a week. You can text help or talk anything you want to seven four one seven four one, and you will be connected with a trained um, listener who can help you navigate that difficult situation. So you can call that. You can text that for yourself. Or you can text if you're trying to help a friend and you just don't know what the words are or what you should do or how to navigate it. You can um, also call the suicide prevention helpline at 800-273-TALK, 8255, um, and have a conversation. And that number will be converting, hopefully, by July 2022 to a three-digit 988 number, which is much easier to remember Uh, A favorite resource for kids that we are very, very blessed to have here in New Jersey, and I'm always disturbed by how few kids know about it, Um, even I find educators that aren't aware of it, is Second Floor Youth Helpline. The second floor yeah. youth helpline doesn't have to. Uh, you don't have to access it because you're in crisis. You can, but it could just be that you're, have, you know, you, you had a fight with your friends, or you had a fight with your parents. Maybe you're feeling overwhelmed with school, and you just want to connect with somebody who's objective, um, and that you can kind of just vent to. And you yeah. can reach them either by text or by calling. Again, 24 hours a day, seven days a week at eight 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 two, 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 eight. So we have a lot of really good resources that people can access. And of course there's many, many more than that, but those, you know, in the immediate are available 24 hours a day, seven days a week.
1: I actually, I was doing a little research looking for additional supports. Um, and, you know, some new and innovative ways that people can make sure that they are getting support. I found an app, I don't know if you're familiar with it. It's called I'm not okay. Yeah, I love it. Um, yeah. I downloaded it on my phone, and I gave it to people that I care about and asked them to download it as well. You can add, you know, a, an emergency contact name, so that if you're not okay, they will get a message that says I'm not Okay. Um, And then you can let them know if you're able to come and help them or if you're not able to so that they can reach out to someone else. But it seemed really user friendly and, you know, very simple. It wasn't like a complicated system, uh, just to make sure that you can get the help that you need.
0: Yeah, it's, I love it. And one of the my favorite things about it is it was actually created by youth. They they realized that it was a problem. I think it might have been a sister and brother, or but it, at least two friends, and they they came up with it. And I will tell you that it really works. Before mm-hmm. I recommend an app or anything, I was test it. Yeah, so I tested I it too. <laughs> I downloaded it, but I forgot to tell my husband, my sons, and my friend that I was doing it. Oh. <laughs> um, and I just hit, and, and it is that easy. You download it. You you preload in the the contact information for your, your mm-hmm. trusted people. And then you hit the not okay. And, and everybody, I got texts and calls immediately because okay. mm-hmm. it said, Wendy's not okay. Reach out to her, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and they're like, what's going on? Are you all right? And I'm like, Oh, I was, it obviously works. Um, yep. And then you can, you can re-hit the button to say, you know, that, that you're okay. So mm-hmm. there are these simple things that we can have where there's, there is an app called the virtual hope box, And it gives you self care strategies and things. You know, maybe you can, um, again, it's you preloading like favorite pictures and visuals, maybe your pets and your family members, your loved one, things that make you feel better when you're not feeling so good. So there's a lot of good apps out there um, that that youth, you know, anybody can access. But again, it's really important that we make sure that there's that awareness that a lot of people aren't okay a lot of the time, but there are resources and help available to you. If people have more questions or want to reach out to you, how can they do that? Uh, I'm, I can give you my contact. Contact information so I, I can easily be found. We do have a, a website, um, rememberingtj.org, that contains a lot of resources. Um, prior to the pandemic, we were doing um, a program in schools. Um, and for parents, uh, it was Remembering TJ, A Story of Teen Depression Lessons and Hope. Um, we we haven't been doing it because we don't like to do it remotely. Um, but on the website, there are lots of resources and books that you can access. Um, and my contact information is there.
1: And we'll put that in the show notes as well. So if people are, didn't remember that, you can just go to the show notes. And um, Remembering TJ.org will be in there too. So anything else that you felt like was really important to share today?
0: I think the only um, other thing I'd like to share is, I think it's really important for all of us to be aware that we are living in a time where there's lots of information available. There's lots of good information and there's lots of potentially harmful information. So you want to make sure um, that you do have these conversations with your loved ones, with your kids, um, kids have conversations with your parents. And I always encourage people to, you know, use the internet as a resource because there's a lot of good information, but to be very mindful that there's also very harmful, potentially harmful information. So we all want to be aware of you know, what we're looking for. um, And if you come across something that's disturbing or potentially harmful, that you bring in that trusted adult and um, for the trusted adults, have an awareness of where your kids are visiting online, because there is information that is not necessarily providing the resources that we want. And I think it's important that everyone be aware of that.
1: Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I think this was a really great conversation. And I hope many people can benefit from it. I appreciate you so much.
0: Thank you. It's always good to connect with you. (laughs) Take care.
1: Thank you to Wendy for coming on the show today. Next week, I am interviewing two guests, Emma Payne and Sarah Coteau, talking about the unique experience of young adult grief, as well as an innovative subscriber model that I think will really appeal to younger folks who are grieving. Emma started a technology-based company that I'm excited to share with all of you. So join us for that as we talk about Grief Coach next week. That's all for today. Good morning to all of you.